Today's episode of Peers to Peers is powered by Shopify, the leading global commerce company that's shaping today's entrepreneurial economy. What started as three mates in a coffee shop trying to sell a snowboard has ended in thousands of employees around the world, bringing over 1.7 million businesses to life. You could say Shopify is a peer to us and entrepreneurs around the world. So peers, if you're looking to start your own business, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Akidinol, founder of Leading Australian Podcast Agency and 2021 Australian Podcast Awards finalists, The Peers Project, and your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite an inspiring millennial entrepreneur from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer to peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way, pursue your passion, and why there's really nothing better. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, peers, and welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. As entrepreneurs and founders, we often think that we need to handle everything by ourselves, from finding investors to paying people's salaries, or even just figuring out how to do the really basic things in business. The entrepreneurial race can feel like a never-ending, lonely marathon, but it doesn't need to be that way. In this episode, we sit down with Abhishek Bhattacharya, the co-founder of Brew Finance. Abhishek is building India's first agri-fintech blockchain platform to help the economy and all farmers. But he didn't get to helping thousands of people all by himself. In today's episode, Abhishek shares why we need to find other entrepreneurs in similar fields to guide us, how to change your mindset from employee to employer, and the value of embracing change. For those of you who haven't yet posted about our podcast on your socials, or if you're new here, firstly, welcome. And please do take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs and help us on our mission to empower you all to pursue what you're most passionate about through entrepreneurship. Okay, peers, without further ado, welcome Abhishek. Abby, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Thank you so much, Michelle. Of course. You know, you and I recently connected and when I looked into you and all of the incredible work you're doing in blockchain, I knew I had to have you come on the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for the invitation, Michelle. It's it's really amazing to be here. Awesome. So for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
So I'm a blockchain entrepreneur. This is the third startup that I'm doing. And I pretty much have been in the blockchain industry since about the last five or six years. And in this time, I have loved building products. The current one that we are building is a platform for farmers and asset-backed lending platform. Apart from that, I have also been involved in teaching people. That's a hobby and a passion that I really cherish. I teach people around the world and I write, I publish. It's all around blockchain technology. So blockchain has pretty much been my life since the last half a decade. You can say that's about me in a nutshell. Oh, I love it, Abby. Blockchain guru. We love that. And I can't wait to dive deeper into your work. But before we do, I'd love to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, where did you grow up? And how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? So I grew up in a variety of towns and cities in India. My father had a job which needed him, you know, go from place to place after a few years. And so my childhood, my schooling and everything has uh, been across the country, you know, multiple cities, multiple states. So I've seen a lot of different cultures. I've celebrated within a lot of different cultures. So pretty much I got an understanding of all different parts of India as a country. But yeah, I belong to the eastern side. Originally, I belong to the eastern side of India, a city called Kolkata. It's a metropolitan city. And that's where I have spent some part of my time there. Otherwise, it's been throughout India. Cool, Abby. And what were some of the tough moments, you know, of growing up and having to move every moment, you know? Was there ever a time when you were growing up where you just thought, oh my goodness, this is so much change. Maybe it's too much change. How did you navigate through that? Honestly, everyone has a set of childhood friends. I do not. Why? Because when I was a child and I was in different cities, we did not have WhatsApp back then, right? Or Facebook for a larger part of it was not there in India at that point in time. So you're still not in touch, right? If it would have been now, of course, you would have been in a WhatsApp group or something and that touch would have been there. So I don't have any childhood friends, right? And shifting from one place to another in the middle of the year creates a havoc in your schooling life because you have to leave one school, go to another. Now that new school has to accept you as a student in the middle of the year, right? The children in the classes don't really you know gel up with you well because you're kind of an alien for them that yeah how come someone is joining in the middle of the year what's he gonna do and then performing again you know by the end of the year understanding those cultures and at the school specifics of everything and then performing in academics that was something that was very tough during my childhood years but I'm good that I've gone through that and I'm now here. <laughs> what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe are going through that consistent change Perhaps they're trying to find the right career path for them. They don't really feel like what they've been doing for the last few years is right. Or maybe it is the pivoting within their business or their startup or their side hustle. You know, it's so constant and it can get really frustrating almost when we have to go through all of these changes. What advice would you give to us around the value of embracing change and just navigating through the hard times? In one sentence, it would be a suggestion that I always give myself. It's not me who has faced a great amount of challenges or anything. This is pretty normal, right? A lot of parents have similar jobs and a lot of children are like this. And in addition to that, this is my share of challenges. Someone else faces their share of challenges, right? People go through so many changes in life. Even COVID changed the lives for so many people, people I know, people whom I'm friends with. And I'm so sad about that. There are so many challenges and changes that happen on a daily basis to different kinds of people in different walks of their lives. One thing as a principle that we can definitely follow is to embrace the change, right? It is something that is constant, right? We all know that we've been taught that from childhood. So I believe once you do that, then you overcome those challenges and then you think that, okay, 
it's there. The changes are going to be there. Now what do we do? Let's carry on with our lives and see where we can take our lives to be, what we can build, what we can do for people, right? And if you're in a job, you would have different set of scopes to do that, to do something. If you're an entrepreneur, you might be having a further different uh, set of things to do for the community around you, for people around you. And with this kind of globalization, you can do something for anyone in the world, right? Which is what we are doing. See, we are building a product being in India for the 1.7 billion people who are unbanked out in the world. We have never met them, but we are able to build for them, right? So yeah, overcome challenges and then see that what you can do with the resources that you have at that point in time in your life. I think that's something to be kept in mind. I think it's so much easier said than done. You know, I want to talk a little bit about, I think I saw that you were a product manager for a couple of months there. And then after that, I think you started your first business, perhaps earlier than 2018, maybe around that time. But talk to us a little bit about how you went about that. So basically, you know, I first time I became entrepreneur in my life back in 2015 when I was in my university. Right. So I was doing my bachelor's in computer science. And that is when I started my first company in my third year of college. And it was a pretty decent media company. We grew from just two of us to more than 37 people working with us at that point in time. And it became really difficult because to handle the classes, education and the 37 people team at that time, we raised a bit of a funding as well. So all of that was really going crazy. We went with that for some time and then it had to be closed down. Then the second time is when you said 2018, I did a startup and now is the third time I did a startup. In between this, I have these, these, all these experiences. I have worked with other companies. Last time I was working, which is what you said, as a product manager for about a year, actually. So, you know, overall, that was really a very good experience. And then again, because I always had a knack for entrepreneurship, right, from his college days or even before. The first time I got an idea or a person to start with, he was my co-founder. So we had an idea and it was, again, very easy for me to jump ship at that time because I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's when I made the jump. What was the toughest part of changing your mindset from employee? to entrepreneur losing the salary right that's a big decision to not see a credit at the end of the month that's something that people live for right (laughs) they're waiting for that day the 30th or the 31st right so (laughs) but then again it was fine i knew it because i've been there in that place you know been there done that kind of thing before but yeah one big problem was that as you go further in life you're technically in a position where it becomes more difficult to start up something right when i was in my college i did not have any responsibilities right Six years down the line, I have a ton of responsibilities, right? So that's what makes the toughest part to make the switch. I love that you bring that up because I think, you know, finance, personal finance, being okay with not having a paycheck and also figuring out how to get by without one. You know, we don't talk about it enough. And, you know, as entrepreneurs, we always hear, oh, the big raise and, you know, this company has all this money. They can hire all these people. But what, you know, a lot of us don't hear is this idea around, well, that one person who got started most likely got started off their own back. You know, can we talk a little bit about how you were able to go off on your own? And then what was the runway that you gave yourself financially? You know, was it a month? Was it 10 months? Was it a year? And then at what point did you tell yourself, okay, look, if this is not making money or if this is not working, I'm going to go back in to get a job. Like, how did that work for you? I'm going to raise capital. I don't know. How did that work for you? We bootstrapped ourselves, right? So we are three co-founders. We bootstrapped ourselves and we had planning for about five to six months to start with. And then we'll see that, you know, how things go. That's the kind of visibility that usually entrepreneurs have. 
And then one good thing was that we started getting noticed by a lot of people. That included the government of India. That included United Nations Development Program, some universities like the number one business school in India in Ahmedabad, then other universities outside, then Google, Microsoft. So all of them gradually at that time, right, they helped us by giving us grants. So we raised some grants from them, equity-free grants. So we didn't have to shell out even a percentage of equity to any of these grants, luckily. And those grants helped us go on and on. And we received more than 175,000 just in grants. So you can imagine that there's a huge help that came to us over the time. And we were able to crack it, right? We were able to go on on this journey. But yeah, we started through bootstrap. We are still bootstrapped, but now we'll be raising funds as we go. I love that, Abby. And it makes it so much clearer for those of us who are hustling without, you know, side hustle and still working our job to pay for our side hustle and all of that stuff. I want to talk a bit about failure and this concept of failure. I think sometimes so many of us, especially up here out there listening, I'm sure you resonate with this, you know, we get so scared to fail. We almost shame ourselves for it. How can we get comfortable with this concept and idea of failure? I believe, honestly, you need a lot of support from people around you, right? When you're a child, it's your parents. If your parents are hell-bent on making you a doctor or an engineer or, you know, something of that sort, you're never going to embrace failure. In fact, in those said lifestyles or in those said career styles or career paths, you barely fail, right? You might lose a job, you'll get another similar job, but it's not the ups and downs that you see being an entrepreneur, right? So I believe that that's a lot of support that's needed from people around you, possibly your spouse, your parents, your friends, right? That's all that's needed. And I was lucky in that department because I got a lot of support from my parents over the years. And every time I wanted to do a startup, I thought that this is the time and they'll say, you know, just stop it. Don't do it anymore, right? We don't have faith in you anymore. But that day never came, even at least till the startup, right? So I believe that's how we can embrace failure. Secondly, If you have already taken, you know, the responsibility to become an entrepreneur, taking the responsibility of not just taking care of yourself, what you would do if you were an employee, but now you're taking care of maybe 30, 40, 100 different people with you. You're not just giving them jobs. You're taking care of them. You're taking care of their families, right? You fire them one day, their families would be in trouble, right? There are so many things you have to make sure and organize and manage. So when you're seeing so many failures all around you and then you gradually start small and start embracing those failures, I believe then it it becomes a cakewalk for you. So that's how I believe most of the entrepreneurs are. You would agree to that, Michelle, I believe. And that's how I've done it, really. I love that. What has been your greatest failure to date? Yeah, every such product launch failures or every startup failures, I wished I would have, you know, continued with the first startup that I did, right? The next seven, eight years. But here I am seven years later doing my third startup, right? And I believe that many entrepreneurs would share these kinds of failures because you know that. Out of 100 startups, 95 startups fail or 90 startups fail. This is their metric in India. This is the metric globally. So who are those 10 people and how many are those, right? So that's why I believe that any such product failure, any such business failure was my biggest failure. But then again, you do the next thing and wish that this does not turn out to be a failure again. And you try to do everything in your every hour that you're awake, try to do something so that this does not turn out to be one of those earlier startups with all the learning that you've got. Such valuable advice. And I think what's really interesting, Abby, I just have to pay some respects to you right now, is that you kept going. You know, you, yep, okay, first failure, let's try another startup. Okay, that, that, oh, let's try another. That's tough. You know, especially when you, as an entrepreneur, and we like to think highly of ourselves sometimes where it's like, oh, you know, we can push through and we are whatever. But at the end of the day, we're just people that are just trying to figure out how to do this. 
you know, for our peers out there listening who perhaps are at the end of failure one, you know, they've put their heart and soul into this business, to this side hustle, whatever it is, and it's just not worked out. And for some reason they've just thought, let's leave it and maybe it's just not going to work out for me. What advice would you give to us about getting back up, trying again when we feel like we've really given everything we possibly could? If anyone listening to this podcast is at that stage, then the answer is right in front of you. And you see it in every different Instagram post probably, right? That if you're failing this time, just push through a bit more. Maybe do it another time and you're going to be successful, right? Netflix, I read somewhere that Netflix did a hoarding kind of a thing where they said that, you know, don't give up on your dreams. We started as a DVD company, right? So can you imagine today's Netflix being a DVD company? They could have failed as well. There are so many companies, big conglomerates and big entrepreneurs who failed. Then who are you, right? You're just learning. Just like change, failure is, I believe, another constant thing in life. So you're going to fail, right? You're going to fail. Be it if you're a big conglomerate, you're going to fail in different product launches. Every other day, Google shuts down one of his products, right? They have such a lot of learning and they have so many good engineers and people to build them. But still, they fail. Then who are you in this entire scheme of things, right? Expect failure, right? And if you fail this time, take the learning, go for the next thing. And very next thing that you do, it would be at least more successful than what you're doing with the current thing or the current product or the current company or the current business, right? So I believe just push through a bit, just the next thing, try out the next thing. If you still feel the same in a year from now, maybe that's a different story, but I'm pretty sure that you won't. You won't be feeling the same in a year from now. How do you think you'll be feeling in a year from now? I believe I would be pretty much feeling awesome because that's what every new year has been for me. If I compare right now to five years back, four years back, three years back and so on, I see that, okay, every new year has been awesome. Let's keep the hardships aside because that's something that's going to be every other month. But one year from now, I believe we'll be in different markets. We'll be catering to more number of farmers, more number of unbanked people, more products, more beautiful or seamless product interfaces, seamless workflows, process flows to give you loans for the same kind of people in different countries, Africa, US, maybe Colombia, etc. the markets that we are eyeing at this moment. So definitely one year from now is going to be good. And we don't see ourselves failing in the next one year, at least. <laughs> yeah, or never. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about brew finance and the origins of it, you know, what made you want to get started with this? What is Brew Finance? What is the business? What's the mission? And what were those first few steps that you took three years ago to get it off the ground? So at Brew Finance, we are building emerging market asset-backed bonds to provide very stable yield opportunities, investment opportunities to the global DeFi lenders. So DeFi in a nutshell is decentralized finance, which is the current financial world that you've known for decades. Just pick that up make it decentralized, put it on a blockchain, enable anyone to be a part of that network without going through the hurdles and the regulations of a centralized economy. And that's what decentralized finance is. So we are offering those lending opportunities for the global DeFi lenders by enabling them to lend against real world assets. What kind? These are non-perishable crops in a country like India or tomorrow in a country like Africa or Colombia, etc. are very scale up where farmers, regular smallholder and marginal farmers are storing their harvested crops, you name it, rice, soybean, maize, wheat, paddy, anything, you name it. They store those crops in a nearby custodian, government or private, and then those are tokenized in the form of an NFT, stored on the blockchain, locked in the warehouse, and then we enable people from all around the world to lend against those commodities. So these are very stable assets. Unlike cryptocurrency, which is like very volatile, which the global DeFi lenders have been accustomed to investing against, these are very stable assets and very stable bonds, three-month, six-month bonds, which you can invest in. And on the other hand, this bridges the gap, the massive 
credit gap uh, between which is currently estimated to be around eight trillion dollars. It bridges the massive credit gap between the global north and the global south. And these smallholder farmers, these low income farmers get access, easy, real time, low cost access to your finance from around the world. That's what we are doing. Three years back, we started working with banks and we onboarded them. We started with centralized finance and then now we are gradually going or bridging decentralized finance so that a farmer has all the opportunities, all the options at their disposal to take loan at the click of a button in real time. That's what we are doing. Abby, it's absolutely incredible what you were doing. Look, Abby, I'm absolutely loving this, but I am mindful of your time. So I've got a couple of final questions for you. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you, Abby, for the incredible work you've done and that you're doing. We're showing us that we keep going despite our failures and we just keep our eye on the prize. We can actually get there and as a result, make an impact. And for that, we really appreciate you. Thank you so much, Michelle. Really appreciate it. Of course. What were the three key pieces of advice that you would give to our peers out there listening that you wish you got when you were just starting out? Number one, as an entrepreneur, do not shelve out your equity just like as if you've gotten it for free. In my earlier startups, this is something I did, right? I just tried getting a co-founder or I tried getting some first people into the team and I just blatantly gave out equity, right? The startup later closed because you do not have a lot of equity left to attract investments, to make your company look attractive to investors, right? So this is a major drawback that you get once you start believing that, okay, I do not have money at this moment, but I have equity to shell out. Do not do that. It's probably the costliest thing, the worst thing that you can give out just for free right? Make sure you use it very judiciously. Now, continuing it to my second takeaway, right? Second advice is that look for other organizations who are doing similar things. Try to partner up. Do not try to go the entire distance just by yourself because that's not what entrepreneurs do, right? Entrepreneurs partner. Entrepreneurs work with others, right? They talk to others. They work with others, find common goals and make it a bigger success than failing individually. Right. So that's how to find other people, find maybe your government who's trying to do a similar thing. So our government, they had an objective of doubling the farmer's income by 2024 or 2025. So that really coincided with what we were trying to do. And we got a lot of support. So there comes the second advice that try to partner up. And then another advice is that try to find opportunities of go for equity free grants. You'd be astonished to see how many organizations across the world are dying to give you grants, right? Because they're looking to work in so many domains. UNDP wanted to work in India and Bangladesh. Where do they go? Do they set up an office entirely here and build new teams just to do that? No, they find startups who are already doing something in Bangladesh and India or Africa or Colombia, etc. And then they help them a lot. Right. So that's how we have been working with the World Bank. The World Bank doesn't do everything on its own. They are looking for other partners to do so. And even though I'm done with three advices, kind of, but I'd go ahead and give another one, which is about the team, is that you have to build your team early on. Something I tried doing in the first startup that I did, even though we had 37 people, but we did not have a lot of specializations, right? Specialized people taking care of certain domains and departments. In the second startup also, we were five or six people trying to do a hundred different things. That's right. When you're early, you try to keep your burn at the minimum. That's how entrepreneurs work. But then again, to scale up, it's fine for a year or so. But to scale up, you have to hire people and you have to hire good people, really good people. Once you do that, it's going to be a cycle. 
where you're going to hire good people, you're going to do more work, you're going to reach more people, more markets, more partners, and that's going to attract more investments and more support to you. And then you're going to grow your team. That's why you see that zero to one, going from that zero to one, as Peter Thiel says, is the most difficult journey. But after that, you really have to make it work like clockwork, right? So that you attract more and more people, investments, opportunities, etc., and markets and go into different markets, right? So those are a few of my advices. So try to go through this journey as soon as possible as an entrepreneur. Such valuable advice. I love it, Abby. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about? The biggest value of pursuing something that you're passionate about, Michelle, which you would understand, you would concur with me, is getting up every single morning and having the same amount of energy, no matter what the hardships are, no matter what internal or external problems you're facing, does not matter. You still have the same amount of energy every morning. You do not face Monday blues. I've never faced Monday blues in my life ever whenever I've been working on my own product. But yeah, I definitely had those Monday blues just like any other employee in the same company, right? So that's it. You need a reason to get up in the morning. You want to imagine those farmer's faces. That does not happen every day. I'll be very honest, right? I don't wake up and imagine every farmer's face every morning. Not saying that, but of course, you have to have a reason. Whenever I think about it, you only think about their faces when you face certain hardships in your startup, right? When you see that, okay, I don't have funds, I don't have people, I should be giving up. And then you think that, okay, but even under those circumstances, we helped 20,000 farmers. How did we do that? Those 20,000 farmers do have faces, right? Those faces come back and tell you that even though you don't have money, don't have people, don't have opportunities, don't have markets, still carry on, go on a bit more, and then you'll soon find all these things in order as time goes by. So that's the biggest reason, the biggest why. Oh, I love it. I love it, Abby. It's been so, so great. Where can we learn more about you and Brew Finance? Sure. I think we are pretty much accessible online. Just brew.finance is our website. I'm available on LinkedIn. I'm very active on LinkedIn. Find me, follow all the work I've been doing in any walk of my life on LinkedIn. Just search for Abhishek Patacharya world or brew finance right or just my name with blockchain also comes up on google i'm so happy about that so get in touch with us see if there's any chance that you can get involved with us we'd be happy to hear from you and thank you michelle for featuring us here i think this is going to reach a lot of people who are in this domain and who are trying to listen to something like this right so happy to be having a conversation today with you i feel the exact same way thank you so much it has been absolutely amazing and for everyone else listening we will end with that Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. Remember, Peers, we're here to help you turn your passion into a business. And so is Shopify. And so if you're looking to start your biz, head to shopify.com.au for your 14-day free trial. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by Shopify. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer and that you find them as gung-ho as we do. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, 
Real Talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs> <laughs>